basically in the beginning it was E. coli processes. And I worked on interleukin, interleukin 2, uh, beta interferon, and uh, later uh, also uh, like subunit vaccines, like meningococci. Hey everyone, welcome to Switch Hub TV. It's your host Wei and John. Today on the show, we have Paul Zuer. Paul is a bioprocess engineer with a wealth of experience in research and development, manufacturing, and in particular fermentation technology. Paul, welcome to the show. How are you? How are you? Uh, I am fine. Thank you very much. And uh, thank but, you for, for inviting me. Well, th thanks for having you. Uh, thanks for allowing, I mean, for allowing us the time to interview you. Um, so we just want to start off with how and why did you get into science? Okay, um, it started, I guess, already in, in middle school. I always liked uh, physics, chemistry, and uh, yeah, and then I felt I have to continue in this and uh, I would like to work in a laboratory. So uh, it started before having any experience. So I just... Uh, started actually I, I don't have a typical job uh, development like you had i actually started working and then studying and i started right. working in a, in, in a in a qc lab in a like milk products factory and uh, it was um, a, a combined uh, working and learning uh, trajectory and since that involved um, also shifts, I did that only like nine months because I really hated the shifts. So um, then I uh, uh, stopped uh, in that job. And a bit later in that year, I started working for also working and starting with evening education. So, so is that, if we can go back a bit, that first company that you worked at, you did QC testing for milk products. What sort of testing was that? Was that microbiology or no chemistry? Uh, or yeah, mainly, mainly or? composition, like uh, fat, dry matter, uh, like a QC testing of the and and like uh, there was baby food made, also chocolate milk, so like also viscosity measurements. So the, the the basic analysis. So it, it was more chemistry based. Right. So yeah. So how did you end up getting into microbiology? Well, then I started working at and also starting in the evening uh, uh, school. And uh, the education system in the Netherlands is different. Uh, so you have a dedicated laboratory school, like a middle level and a high level. And at that time, it was even more different than now. So in the end, I did like a bachelor education, but at the time it didn't even qualify for a bachelor degree. That, that was uh, changed later. So I, I did the whole trajectory. I, I started actually like a media, media prep, like in a, in a media kitchen. And uh, before I had one class of microbiology, they uh, asked me, ah, we have a vacancy. Would you like to uh, take this uh, job? So I started in fermentation before having any microbiology class. So I learned it on the job and then later on school also. Yeah, so, so you, you started first in the, uh, I guess, the dirty prep work, preparing media yeah. for the yeah. rest of the, uh, the lab yeah. techs and production as well, or just mainly for laboratory testing? Mainly for laboratory testing. I mean, late, later I worked also uh, at other companies, but I guess we will get there later. But yeah, I started like with, with preparing the media 
And then, uh, yeah, my first job was in fermentation. So then, yeah, you also have to prepare the media on a bit bigger scale, do your uh, shake flask culturing and then fermentations, uh, prepare samples for analysis. Uh, so basically learned it on the job. Yeah. So Paul, um, how do, uh, what's the process on fermentation? What type of process? Uh, like, um, it's more like, uh, what's the process of fermentation? Ah, okay. Okay, the process of fermentation. Well, you, you, you start with a vial of microorganisms, of your production organism. And uh, the, the first project I worked on was uh, for uh, enzymes, food uh, enzymes, and also some detergent enzymes, like it was an amylase and uh, proteases. That was my first experience in fermentation. So first you have a vial of um, your microorganism. You uh, put that into a shake flask with uh, growth medium, culturing medium. You let it grow, for example, overnight. You have some more uh, bacteria and you inoculate that in a fermenter with a larger quantity of uh, broth containing all the nutrients for your uh, microorganism. And it starts growing and mostly in an industry, you also have a, you have a fat batch. So you start with a batch culture until you have a reasonable amount of bacteria. And then you start to feed uh, to get more biomass and product formed. So in the end, after some days or a week, uh, you, you stop the fermentation, you have an amount of biomass, but also your enzymes are produced either intracellularly, but a lot are extracellularly. So then you separate the, um, at the end of the fermentation, the biomass from the broth and depending on whether it's uh, intracellular or extracellular, you continue with either the supernatant or the filtrate, depending on the DSP, or you take the biomass to further um, uh, work up the, the product. And, and Paul, in that, in that process, are you able to, within one fermentation, um, like have produced a number of different enzymes during the one run? I'm, I'm assuming you're able to, right? You, you, you mean uh, several enzymes together? Yeah, exactly. In one production run. Yeah, well, mostly it is a mix of your uh, the, the enzyme that you want to have and some other enzymes which are uh, also made by the microorganisms. So in the end, you have to separate those enzymes. Yes. Uh, but, but obviously, you try to control the process in such a way that the main enzyme is at a high level, at the highest concentration. Yeah, yeah. but mostly you have some other enzymes also made, yeah. And I'm assuming as well, I might be wrong, but that you're using modified organisms that contain whatever the the sequence for the enzyme you yeah. want to produce or something like that. At the time I started, there was not even the GMO uh, techniques that started a bit later uh, yeah. after a few years. So uh, at, at the moment I started, there was just a classic enzyme. So microorganisms were just screened uh, like taken out of nature, screened or with uh, classical mutagenesis uh, altered to um, have higher expression of the wished enzymes. The GMO technique started a few years later 
and even in the Netherlands, it was not allowed. So some of our colleagues went to the UK to, the, to do the GMO work and came back with the microorganisms. Yeah, so and they indeed, were allowed to carry them. They were allowed to carry them on a plane, but not just produce, but not allowed to produce them in the Netherlands. Well, yeah, I, I guess for uh, I was not involved in that part of the work, but I guess they were uh, not allowed yet to manipulate, but yeah. they were allowed to culture them in the lab under controlled conditions. Yeah, I mean that developed now uh, a lot. Huh? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So it was interesting. Yeah, and you know something that you said actually reminds me of something that I was told in my first semester of microbiology because my my professor at the time did some work on like, you know, washing powder and things like that as well. And he mentioned washing powder. There was, there's, so, there's been so much research and development, especially with microbiology in terms of all the enzymes that go into um, washing powder. And it was something that blew my mind. And I don't think it's something that people appreciate when they take it off the, the shelf. They're literally buying years and years of research and development work. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about that? Hopefully I'm not testing your memory too much. You, you, you use amylases, you use protease yeah. to break down proteins. Uh, and basically for detergents, I mean, the, the pH is, is higher. So you, you have to uh, select uh, enzymes which can resist to that higher pH and to the higher temperatures. At that time, we used higher temperatures for washing. Later, they selected enzymes which also work properly uh, at lower uh, temperatures because now everybody washing at like 30 or 40 C at that time it was like 50 or 60 C so that changed a lot so I'm not aware of more enzymes in detergents right. I actually that was the only uh, enzyme I worked on uh, for, for detergents later I worked on all other kinds of products uh, enzymes but also like uh, small molecules pharmaceuticals so I, I worked on so many uh, uh, products. I even don't remember them all. Yeah, that's that's crazy. And I hope we get to yeah. unpack more yeah. of that as we go on. Yeah. John, did you just want to jump in with a question? Because I knew you were <laughs> wanted to unmute no. a few times. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, there's a few questions that I'd like to ask you. I mean, your stories are very interesting. It's very intriguing. Um, thank you for sharing um, about the processes. Um, so basically, I am, um, you know, checking your profile and it says that you have been working for 25 years in the company. So what is it like working at that period of time within that one company? Well, I actually, that, that was uh, May 1st. I worked 25 years for that company. But like uh, Wei said in the beginning, I, I worked there before, left and came back. So I have another career, an early career of 10 years. So. In total, it's already 35 years, years at that company. And I worked six years in between at the biopharmaceutical company. Well, uh, you're not going to mention the company, but um, I mean, it's a very big international company. The attractive thing of that is that, uh, I mean, it's big. The R&D group is big. Like uh, I work in Delft in the Netherlands and there's about 400 people working in R&D. So if you, at one point you say, okay, I saw it. I would like to change to another project. You just say, uh, I, I, I would like to have another challenge and uh, they will look for something and you move to another project. So th there's a lot of variation. 
And also there are several production plants over the world, either for food or other types of product. So I'm involved on the interface uh, between R&D and production. So I also uh, uh, visit several production plants uh, in, in the world, like I visited the one in, uh, in uh, Sydney uh, three years ago, but also like uh, the, we have another plant in uh, Germantown in uh, the US. In the past, I have been involved uh, in projects where I went to France or Germany or Italy few times I went to uh, the Shanghai uh, region. Uh, so that's the nice thing of working for a big company. You have a lot of opportunities. Sounds like you traveled a lot. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's it like um, traveling uh, around here in places and exploring like um, different laboratory? Because I can assume that most countries would have different laboratory practice or are they all uniform or they're all the same? Different manufacturing sites as well. Yeah. yeah, manufacturing size indeed. Uh, no, it's all it's all different. For, for example, I, I have been involved in uh, uh, setting up a lab in Shanghai. And then I, I was making user requirement specifications for the lab and what uh, uh, space they needed, uh, benches, equipment. And I said, okay, you need, for example, a uh, washing machine to wash uh, glassware, etc. And then they said, well, we have wash washing ladies. I said, washing ladies? Yeah, so they, I, I mean, it's kind of the, the, also for employment. So they hire washing ladies to wash your uh, glassware. So it's like you, you have to weigh either a machine or hire a, a person or several persons to do that job. I said, yeah, but it also need to be washed very carefully. I mean, it uh, could have uh, an effect on your uh, on the quality of your experiments if it's not washed in a reproducible way. And so in the end, I could convince them to buy a washing machine, obviously operated also by these washing ladies and did other jobs. So th that is different. I mean, this is not a discussion you have in any other part of the world. I have been uh, like in Australia or the US. Uh, you, uh, you sometimes have to deal with different regulations. For example, uh, tight, tight uh, I, I'm not talking more about production, like titrant in the US, like you have ammonia. They use 90% because that is the maximum concentration they transport over the road. Like at another place, you have the 25 or 27%. It's not an issue. So you have to deal with that, that kind of things. Uh, different permits for chemicals. I have also been working on a project in Brazil. In Brazil, it's really a hell to uh, work with chemicals. I mean, uh, you, you have to register chemicals like in three different um, uh, at three different authorities, like a municipality, uh, uh, like a central one for the country, also when it's involved. But I guess that is similar in several countries when it can also be used for um, like drug manufacturing. There's an extra registration. But uh, there it took about a half year to set up uh, everything like the formalities so that was very difficult uh, so yeah i have seen different uh, countries different ways of working different regulations and uh, well i i find that the interesting uh, part of it uh, learn about the cultures 
uh, and it's not always easy, but uh, it's always interesting. Uh, there, thanks for sharing that. Thanks for sharing. You can never stop learning. Insights. Huh? Yeah, that's never just crazy, learning, Paul. Yeah. So if we go back to sort of specifically your career for a bit, so like you said, you know, you you started working in the media makeup, and you know, I can assume yeah. later that you eventually quickly moved on into R and D work. So what was that sort of transition like and how was that? I guess that was more in line with what you were interested in rather than being yeah. in the kitchen all day making media. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, was really from day one to two uh, working fermentation, like uh, learning on the job. So uh, I, I just teamed up with an experienced uh, lab tech who learned me, who taught me everything. And uh, yeah, meanwhile, I, I was studying in the evening. In the end, I went six years to the evening school and it was three evenings in the week. And then you still have your homework. So I would not recommend anybody to follow that path. Just continue studying until you're ready and uh, do your traineeships. Because I mean, it's, it's pretty uh, intense uh, this way. So um, I think I worked for about one half year, one year already in fermentation uh, when I got my first uh, class of microbiology. So, uh, and then obviously I, I already uh, knew about several techniques, but sometimes not, I didn't have the theoretical background uh, to fully grasp everything I did. So uh, yeah, that was interesting, but, but really uh, at, at the time that was possible that you just learn on the job. And uh, yeah, yeah basic, ba basically, we did a kind of routine fermentation, so it's doable. Uh, and if you have a limited amount of uh, projects, uh, you, you can uh, you can learn it also that way. Was it was it mainly like pilot studies and then scale up sort of work? Is that what you were doing? No, this was small scale, so maximum like ten liter scale, ten twenty liter. And right. uh, the, the, the moment I got involved uh, in pilot work, that was uh, actually when I went to the other company, I worked, uh, started working in a pilot and like biopharmaceutical manufacturing, which is smaller scale than we used to uh, at the company I work for now, which is really industrial, tens of cubic meter or even hundreds uh, of cubic meters. Yeah, and then so so you were saying, you know, so you worked, you worked in sort of dairy fermentation, dairy cultures, and then you transitioned into biopharmaceuticals more in terms of the pharmaceutical side. What what was that like? I mean, that must be. I, I think I know what you're going to say, but yeah, if you could tell us yeah. what was that like, and what did you work on when you were when you transitioned into biopharmaceuticals? Yeah, so it was interesting. It was a, a startup of. Um, European uh, branch of an American company and they built a pilot plant in Amsterdam and it was like for registration of uh, pharmaceuticals in Europe to do some uh, trials and registration batches and maybe later also new uh, development of uh, pharmaceuticals. So basically in the beginning it was E. coli processes. I worked on interleukin, interleukin 2, uh, beta interferon and uh, later uh, also uh, like subunit vaccines like men meningococci, uh, also portatella pertussis, which is whooping cough, I think, a vaccine. Uh, 
So um, the interesting part was it was a new company, a new building, new pilot plant. And when I arrived there, I mean, it was empty. We, we had to fill it. Some equipment was purchased, and, but still had to come. So, um, so what we did is, well, we bought all the equipment, um, helped with installing, starting up, uh, do all the testing and validation. Well, like I said, it was a pharmaceutical company, biopharmaceutical, so GMP, generate more paper uh, so you had to uh, write a lot of procedures and follow them uh, there, there's no way uh, to do r d uh, without uh, carefully preparing that that's the part you hate right <laughs> exactly so as well, after some years okay it, it went uh, from let's say development it went to only production. And then I said, okay, for me, it was interesting, but it was enough. I preferred R&D and uh, development work or in between production and R&D. Yeah. yeah. So it's, I, I mean, it's interesting. Huh? Uh, it's, it's, uh, interesting to learn the way of working and what is required for that. And interesting to see how biopharmaceuticals bio are made. And, uh, it's impressive. Yeah. So at what stage were you taking an interest in R&D? Uh, well, I, I, uh, after the two years work in the, the media kitchen, I started working in R&D. Uh, and um, then I worked there eight years. And then I moved to that biopharmaceutical company. Well, that was basically a transferring a process from the US to that pilot plant. Um, and uh, yeah, that took a few years until everything was uh, running smoothly, validated. Then we had a few other um, um, proteins uh, coming in and being produced. And at the moment uh, that it switched, now they were taken over by another company. There was some remodeling of the pilot plant, again, new equipment coming in and starting up and validating and then they said are oh, we gonna do only production and that was the moment i thought okay that's enough for me and then i went back to the company i've worked for now again for 25 years and i came back uh, in an r d function and also started working in pilot uh, fermentations and uh, after some five to ten years maybe also working at production sites so transferring processes uh, troubleshooting, uh, yeah, diverse work in different types of uh, 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 projects. And uh, only the last, what is it, four, five, four years, I work in cultures, so for dairy and cheese enzymes. Before that, I worked also like in bioethanol uh, projects, so uh, for the production of enzymes or the C5 yeast. Um, yeah, diverse type of projects. Right, and do you yeah. have any advice for those who wants to work in R and D? Like, how do they get to R and D? Like, what do they need? Yeah, advice. I mean, I, I don't have really a typical career. Uh, you, you have to start at a job, and I guess you, you have to have some. You need to be flexible creative uh, 
to my opinion, also when you see an opportunity, uh, just take it or go for it. Uh, express your opinion that you would like to do a type of work or that you want to move in a certain way. For example, uh, at one moment they said, oh, we're going to set up something in uh, China. I immediately said, oh, I'm interested in, interested in doing that. And uh, do you have uh, a project for me or can I help somewhere? And then you, you, if you're interested and motivated, uh, they will see it, you get the opportunity if they think you can do it, obviously. So I, I, I think if you see opportunities, go for it, take it and, and express your opinion, what you like, what you don't like. Uh, for example, I worked on project at one point, I was fed up with it, I said, ah, I, I feel it's not good, I'm not so mo motivated anymore, I need to switch because it's not good for me, it's not good for the project. So I always did it, it was uh, based on my feeling and my uh, interest in certain subjects. So that is how it was my career. So not really planned from the beginning, but more like looking for opportunities or grabbing them when I saw them. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and, 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 also, and, and yeah, and, and also I think, um, I mean, I, I worked for the company like 10 years, but at, at one moment I thought, okay, I work 10 years, am I gonna stay here? Or what am I gonna do? So that was uh, that point that I moved to that other company. I thought, okay, at that time I was uh, about 30. I thought, okay, I, I think I wanna move to another company and see what's, uh, what type of work they have there, learn something new. And it's really interesting. I mean, this is a big company that biopharmaceuticals quite small, at least that, that branch here in the Netherlands, like 100, 150 people at one moment. And uh, you, you learn, uh, different things you don't learn in a big company. Uh, you, you have a more broad type of work. The ways of communication, the communication lines are much shorter. So it's also interesting to, to learn that. Uh, on the other hand, working for a big company, I, I mean, th th there are so much opportunities, uh, different kinds of projects. We have all the uh, yeah, worldwide locations with labs and production sites you don't have that with smaller companies but i i i like both for some some period of time so uh, yeah like said uh, before i i like the variation so when i see an opportunity or i feel like it's time for something new i i, I i'm gonna talk about it or when i see something interested interesting i grab the opportunity so that's how I did it so far. That's awesome. Paul, we only have time for one more question. So I've been dying yeah. to ask this. Okay. We won't go into any confidential territory, but you know, as you sort of alluded to, you worked on many projects throughout your years. What, yeah. What's been the highlight so far? What was the project where you just, you know, there was a, there was a problem to solve. You initiated the project, or even if you didn't initiate it, you um, executed this project and then you solved the problem and you thought that's, that's a bloody good job that I did. Well, sometimes you have a, a, a big problem in either implementing a process on a production plant or you have a scale-up problem. And I mean, it's different than if you have a failing lab experience. Okay, you're going to think you do it again or another time, but 
like if you mess something up on production scale, it's like you lose like 20,000 euro or 50,000 euro or even more. So it's really rewarding if you quickly find the reason why something doesn't work out and it works out in the end. Uh, I mean, I, I, I recommended sometimes things which didn't work out. And if you, I mean, you, you have to learn from that too. And if you work on production sites, you have a tough talk then with a production manager uh, or, or uh, yeah, with some colleagues. So you have to explain this. Yeah, okay, uh, I, I overlooked this or I didn't think about that, but I think uh, it's about this. So you, you sometimes have some tough talks because it's quite some more responsibility. So it's for me, it's really re rewarding if I solve the problem quickly uh, and then nobody cares anymore that <laughs> one, one run did fail. I mean, it can happen, everybody knows, but everybody always plans for success and it has to go right first time. But yeah, it's, it's not always working that way. So if it's working first time right, that is really rewarding, but it's more often that something goes wrong in the beginning and you quickly have to solve it. Yeah. yeah. So basically what you're saying is you'd be bored if there were no problems. <laughs> would I, it I, be now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but some of them I would like to have not uh, yeah. had. Yeah, but Don't have too much problems. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for, right. for, for example, that I, I, I had one uh, time I uh, decided we called that one-shot approach. I had three changes in the process one time, and it didn't work out well. Like we had a high viscosity, everything went wrong. And then you have to go back to analyze which one of the three didn't uh, contribute to the or did contribute to that bad result because we tested them all three separately and thought okay we do them all together oh no it yeah it didn't oh, work yeah. out <laughs> yeah <laughs> so then i had to go back far out that's yeah. crazy i mean paul we could we could talk for hours and hours about yeah. you know everything that you've done but unfortunately we're we're out of time so yeah. i'd like to thank you again for um for sharing your experiences with us and may maybe we have to get you back on the show again to you know <laughs> explain more talk some more but yeah. yeah really appreciate it thanks for your time today all thanks right for joining the show yeah and thank you uh, for having me and uh, good luck uh, with switch up <laughs>